This is Channel 253. In this episode of Crossing Division. So in education, it comes to this ethnic studies, ethnic studies in in K through five. We got to put ethnic studies in there. Tell the story of American history, not just what we want to tell. Um, and we also want to make sure that we teach a course on peace, peace or meditation. There got to be a course in that. Channel 253 is a member supported podcast network. I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I'm asking you to become a member and show your support. Go to channel253.com slash membership to join. Thank you. Hi, this is Evelyn Lopez. This week on Crossing Division, we wanted to take a closer look at some recent problems that we've been experiencing across the country, but also in Western Washington with um, racism and in particular, anti-Asian hate crimes. Uh, I have a great panel today and I'll have each of them introduce themselves and tell you a little bit about them. But uh, we have Kim Khan Van, Stan Shikuma and Silong Chun. Thank you so much for joining me. And Kim, let's start with you. Will you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you and also put in a plug for your campaign for King County Council? Thank you, Evelyn, and thank you, everyone, uh, for being here. Um, my name is Kim Kanban, and I'm currently a Renton City Council member. Uh, my journey to Renton City Council member actually started with my birth in Vietnam uh, on a farm, Cameron, Vietnam, after the war. Our family escaped from uh, Vietnam and was in the refugee camp in the Philippines. And thank goodness we, uh, we were able to resettle in King County um, at the age of six. And I started my journey with public school education, obtained uh, two bachelor's degree at the University of Washington and went off to uh, law school. And I've been practicing law for about 10 years. Um, and uh, just very blessed to be here and glad to have this opportunity. So uh, thank you so much. And also I'm running for uh, King County Council District 9 uh, uh, to represent our communities uh, of South King County communities. Thank you. Excellent. Stan, how about you? Why don't you introduce yourself and uh, tell us about some of your activities in Seattle? Sure. Thank you, Evelyn, for having me here. So I'm Stan Shikuma. Uh, I'm a sansei, meaning third generation Japanese American uh, born in California, um, family on both sides, my mother's family and my father's family, were taken away during World War II and locked up in concentration camps in Arizona and California. Uh, I'm currently the president of the Seattle chapter of the Japanese American Citizens League, uh, which is a uh, civil rights organization based in the Japanese community. And I'm on the National Leadership Council of Tsudu for Solidarity, which is a Japanese-American-based network or coalition of groups around the country that are working on immigration issues. And happy to be here. Excellent. Thank you. And Silong, do you want to introduce yourself, too? Yeah. Hi, everyone. My name is Silong Chen. I am currently the Digital Communications Manager at PLU, and my journey is 
Not the same as Kim's, but very similar. I was born in Cambodia, um, was in a refugee camp for a good couple of years before I came to the United States as a refugee in 1981 and um, just grew up here in Tacoma, Washington you know, on the east side in the Salishan neighborhood. And um, my journey led me to where I am today, where um, I'm co-founder of the Khmer Anti-Deportation Advocacy Group here in Washington. And um, it's just been uh, quite a journey. and the work continues. So I'm happy to be here. Thanks. Thank you for having me. Great. Well, and I'll tell you, I um, am an immigrant, immigrant myself. I was born in New Zealand and uh, we moved to California when I was three. But as you can see on the screen, I don't look like I'm anything in particular other than a um, Anglo white Caucasian person. And so I haven't experienced directly a lot of the negative stereotypes, either for immigrants or people who are, you know, have families from other countries. No, I was going to mention, I was going to um, add on to what you said that um, you being an immigrant and you not experiencing what, you know, immigrants of color um, have experienced, you know, in America is telling that when you say the word immigrant, people automatically think of persons of color, not someone from Russia or Ukraine things like that. But I, I just wanted to add that, but I'll, I'll be quiet now. No, you're, you're absolutely correct. And actually it drives me crazy because my husband, um, you know, our last name is Lopez. His family is from Spain, but mm -hmm. he was born in New York. And whenever we uh, travel internationally, he gets pulled over aside for extra processing and gets a, a deep questioning. Mm -hmm. And I never get even one question. And yeah. it always infuriates me that it's, um, you know, it's not at all about facts. It's just about racism. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about what's happening right now. So um, we have last week a shooting in Atlanta that certainly targeted Asian businesses and probably targeted Asian women in particular. Um, and we've seen rising incidents of hate directed at Asians. Um, I, some of the things I find most disturbing are uh, the assaults on elders um, because I, I mean, I honestly can't imagine what would drive someone to, to hit a, 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 a tiny old woman. Um, but tell me about this. What are you seeing in your communities and what are the communities worrying about? And, you know, I, I do acknowledge we're on uh, occupied land, Duwamish territory, and Salish Coast people have uh, stewarded the land and have um, been sharing with us, uh, myself as a refugee to this country. Uh, it's been heavy on all of our hearts, not just, I think, the a Asian American Pacific Islanders community. In fact, I have told myself that I would have not uh, have tears. Um, can you hear me still? Yes, no reason I don't I can't see myself on the screen, but um, you know it, it, it's not nothing new, right? Um, it's been there um, even before I was a concept. Uh, I think that we have just gone through our lives and been very busy and having um, been part of this quote unquote model minority myth uh, and the statistics that we see every day about Asian and how we have very much assimilated and the great things um, that Asian Americans have accomplished, which rightly so, we should uh, praise, but certainly there is um, disaggregation of data and all the information with that. Um, 
like I mentioned, it's not nothing new. Uh, but soon there's uh, a rise, increased violence, and particularly to our elders, which is something that pierced my heart, right? I think it's just something we don't do. Uh, we have grown up in a culture where you respect your elders um, and you really take care of your elders. Um, but it has to go back to what has happened in the last four years, uh, but certainly it's not from there. It has been before that is how our country has been uh, constructed. Stan, you mentioned that your family on both sides had been in concentration camps during World War II. So your family has really experienced, you know, some of the most, I would say, vicious and directed anti-Asian hate, the anti-Japanese sentiment during World War II. How do you put the current events into context with that? Well, unfortunately, there's a lot of um, points of similarity, I think, with the World War II experience, there had been, because of the um, competition with Japan in the Pacific economically and then militarily, the war starts, um, there was uh, years of scapegoating and um, stereotyping of Japanese as a yellow peril, as you know, a danger, a menace, and that you know, people that could not be trusted. And so when the war breaks out, there's that baggage of uh, humiliation and, and stereotyping that leads very soon to you know, acts of vandalism. People get rocks thrown through their windows, um, some you know, firebombing of barns and, and stuff, and uh, culminates in the president ordering, uh, giving an order that allows the military to just take everybody uh, away from military for reasons of military necessity, supposedly. But like my brother, my older brother was four when when the war broke out, and they locked him up. And my uh, grandmothers were like in their late fifties at that point, uh, maybe sixty. Didn't speak any English, uh, and you know, so like, what danger would they be? I think today we see. You know, particularly with the whole thing about the pandemic and, you know, China flu and Kung flu and, and that, it sets some, some of the same tone of blaming a certain category of people for a global problem. And that is not their fault. And uh, racists don't ask you, are you Chinese or Japanese or Vietnamese? They just see someone they think is Asian and they target you. So I think we're seeing the result of, of that picking up and playing out in, in a deadly way now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Before the um, COVID-19 virus, I, I would have thought, and I, and I often think this, and I think it's just my lack of information, I would have thought that this country had moved past some of those damaging stereotypes of the past, looking at Asians as sort of the outsiders, the others, that we had made strides in moving past that. But this um, recent wave of hate picked up so quickly and so easily that it makes me think that we, we haven't really moved very far at all. Yeah, I tend to agree. Yeah, both Kim and Stan said this is nothing new. I think there's just more visibility visibility to it. 
And to go back to your question on why it's happening on more of the elders and, and, and the women, um, my interpretation of that is that the elders and Asian women specifically are easier targets. Um, I, I understand um, that most of the Asian cultures mm. where culturally we're taught to be passive, we're taught to respect authority, to respect our elders, and then we internalize that. So um, maybe from experience, these attackers, maybe they've bullied Asians in the past, growing up and during school, and there was no consequences for the action, and they carried that into adulthood. And I, and uh, what I, from what I understand, that uh, hate is taught. So if you you were growing up with a whole bunch of Asians that you didn't like, and you're you know you pass that on to the next generation, and um, what Stan hit on really resonates with me because mm -hmm. Asian is a rainbow full of different cultures and ethnicities mm -hmm. and backgrounds. And one common thread here, especially in America, is that we're all Asian Americans and we get looped into this one group, which really is unfair, um, which contributes to the model minority myth that Kim mentioned. And I think that's why um, Asians are seen as easy targets, but that's not really the case, right? The recent news of this elderly woman who was attacked and she attacked the, her aggressor and now the aggressor's in the hospital, you know? So, you know, I think we're, we're seen as easy targets. Yeah, I think another problem is uh, the response that we get from um, the media and leaders in, in the community and, you know, politicians and stuff is that, you know, they can either set a good tone or they can set a bad tone. Like, you know, Trump was obviously setting a really bad tone. Um, and, you know, locally they've been, our leaders have been setting a better tone, but I think there's a lack of consistency because, you know, all this, China virus stuff started a year ago and, and immediately there was a little bit of flurry of, yeah, well, we shouldn't be saying that. And then we didn't hear anything for like six or eight months from most leaders until we started having all these attacks on elders um, and, you know, people actually being killed. And then we hear more uh, anger and outrage coming out. And that is great. We need to hear that. But it, it's kind of like we need some consistency, too. And I'm a little upset with the media for how they treat these things. So like looking at the thing in Atlanta versus the thing in Colorado, how long did it take to even know the names of who was killed in Atlanta? And what did we hear about them? And do we know anything about their lives? We knew what church the killer went to. We knew where he went to high school, but we didn't know anything about the victims. Colorado, you know, it's two days ago, and already there's a spread in this morning's paper about all the victims. And, you know, I think that it should be focused on the victims and not, not the perpetrator. But is it because their lives are worth more than the lives in Atlanta? I, I think that's something we really need to look at. Yeah, I think that's totally, mm -hmm. that's totally. Um, yeah, I know, I know. It is. Go ahead, Kim. Yeah, I was just agreeing with Stan and the, the media. Um, I love the press, but I think the way we message, the way we go about with information is uh, very much biased and, 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 it, and it could just be unintentional, but I don't think so. I think there is um, what we have experienced, at least my lifetime, uh, short-lived, but you know, ever since third grade, I knew I was not white, right? I knew that my broken English not fluent English. Mm -hmm. I knew that the way I speak, 
my hair, my uh, the way I, I use my chopsticks to eat, that I was not white. And that's when I knew I was treated differently. Um, and just to go back to the media, like you, you know, having uh, the way the media portray our victims, survivors, family, loved ones, it's, it's incredible, right? With information, release of information. Mm-hmm. Then we talk about the leaders. I have someone mentioned the chief, right, in Atlanta. Yeah. Uh, just having a bad day. I don't think having a bad day would drive you to start shooting people. It's a buildup of time. So let's not even talk about nationwide. Let's talk mm-hmm. about King County, right? As part of a volunteer group uh, that had start for myself, I was a volunteer with King County um, Coalition Against Hate and Bias. And it's a project initiated by King County government that is community led, that uh, community organizations like CISC, Chinese Information Service Center, United Indians of All Tribe Foundation, Vietnamese American Community Central Sohomish King Counties and a few other nonprofits. We collect data or stories of folks in King County that have been targeted because of hate and bias. And since last year, since the program started, it's we've had over 400 cases, right? And let's hear about those untold stories. So these are the told stories, right? And Stan is right on when he says it's consistency. And it's really consistency, persistency. Our elected leaders sets the tone. And currently, as it stands, there's no consistency. Um, but I, I'm very much grateful for those who have been stepping up. Uh, it's time that we look at this Asian American experience as an American experience. And that it's not just this community and that's it. Hate should not be in our community, not just the Asian community. Tell me a little bit more about um, what's going on locally. Um, you know, I think that there's sometimes uh, a um, instinct to say, okay, well, yeah, that's happening, but that's in Atlanta or that's happening in some other part of the country. And it would never happen here. Now, I, I'll tell you, I, my two sisters-in-law are Asian American. And after the events of Atlanta, I reached out to them to say, how are you feeling and how are you doing? And both of them live in Southern California, one in Tustin, one in San Diego. And they said, actually, fine. You know, it doesn't, this is not something that we really are uh, experiencing here. But I see these incidents happening in San Francisco and around us. And to me, that says, I don't think we should make assumptions about areas that are safe or areas that are more accepting. But what are you seeing in your communities? Well, it happens here. I mean, there was that case down in the International District, uh, Noriko Nasu, a Japanese immigrant, I believe, um, who teaches Japanese up in the North Shore area, was attacked like right on the street in the International District. Someone hit her in the head, um, you know, broke teeth and, and uh, her nose. And uh, I've heard other stories of like a mother with a young child, a six-year-old child, who was in the Redmond Costco. Um, and someone came up and started accusing her of spreading the pandemic and asking her why she was there and you know, that she should leave. And she wasn't wearing a mask and she was getting very close. And it was scaring the kid. So the mother turns to the kid and starts trying to comfort him. 
in her language, and that set the person off even more. So, you know, it's, it isn't all somewhere else. It happens here. Yeah, I've had um, many friends that experienced just getting gas at the gas station, you know, folks driving by yelling out, China virus, go back to your country. And just, just horrible, just daily occurrences like that, which really seems can be can seem minor, but it has a huge impact on a person and just a community to, to experience it. But for me personally, I've been privileged enough to be able to work from home during this pandemic. So I've been haven't been outside much to to, mm-hmm. to interact with the public. And I also live in a pretty diverse area of Tacoma. So I, I mean as soon as I step outside, it, it's a really a great community to be in. So for me personally, I haven't really experienced anything in this community per se and i just haven't been outside much but i do have a lot of friends that we you know in group chats and group text messages that we we we, we do discuss it on a daily like man you know somebody's mom was being um harassed at the store or just people staring when you, you're standing in the grocery store just just minor events like that that happens every day that doesn't go reported you know and there's no data points to say hey this how many incidents have happened and and to me are to me i think those are very important to report and 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 document but at the same time who has the energy to document a daily occurrence when it's a less than five minute interaction Mm -hmm. of somebody just yelling at you or uh, harassing you or taunting you it's it's just not worth the time and energy well, I worry too. Um, you know, recently, I, as I mentioned, I talked with Dr. Chen uh, at our um, Tacoma Pierce County Health Department, and one of the things we talked about at the end was uh, hate as a health issue, um, because one of the things that I think of a lot is that those those daily occurrences, even the minor ones, you know, the insult, someone yelling when you're at the gas station, that has an impact on you. I mean, it it makes you feel. Uh, unsafe. First of all, it's it's frightening. It makes you feel unsafe. Makes you feel again like someone is emphasizing that you don't belong someplace, that you don't live here, that you're an outsider. Those have profound emotional impacts on people, and I think carrying that burden that has just got to be an enormous constant stressor. And we know that stress has negative health impacts. You know, higher incidence of um, heart issues and other issues and cancers. And so this, even the innocuous things, and I agree with you, you can't report every little thing that happens, but these are all um, assaults and they have a health impact on people. So what do we do about that? You know, that's tough because um, these short little span incidents that occurs daily occurrences, it's, it's happening my whole life, you know, growing up here. You get it from all sides, you get it from all communities. But as being, you know, older and more mature now, I used, I used, to, I used to get very angry. Not angry at um, the world, per se, just angry kind of at myself. Like, how did, how, why am I the target of this? What makes me so different? You know, as a kid, you don't understand these things. And then you internalize it. You internalize it. You you want to become more acceptable. So you try to assimilate and you, you don't speak your language. You don't bring Cambodian food to school for lunch anymore because you get made fun of. So I, I think for me anyways, these, these daily occurrences, just something that I've learned to deal with my whole life. And I don't 
to me, for me personally, it's not worth my energy. But as you as you see the uptick in these racist incidents now leading to violence where you're causing physical harm uh, to another body, that's when we, you know, we should, well, I mean, we should take all of these occurrences um, seriously, but we have to look at the problem. What's the problem? We, we just have to say it. It's white supremacy, the center of whiteness, the 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 you know the white supremacy and the supremacists feeling like they're losing America to immigrants and black folks and and just they're just feeling they're losing a grip on their way of life. And what does that mean? What is their way of life? How do how do they see life here in America? It's totally different from what our experience is. So I, we have to. Um, I, I think education and 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 just overcoming ignorance. Um, a lot of hate comes from ignorance and misunderstandings, and um, you know, to just just to call it out, man. We just gotta defeat um, decenter whiteness and white supremacy. Yeah, like I said, as as a volunteer with mm-hmm. King County uh, Coalition Against Hate and Bias, it's part of our um, job or responsibility to uh, educate the public because we've been so we've internalized all these things. Like I said earlier, I, I used to, you know. And second grade, that's when I noticed that I was different. And so we have built into this culture that it's okay to take it in, right? It, you're still alive, take it in. Mm-hmm. But certainly Absolutely. health is, when we look at it holistically, it's your physical, spiritual, emotional, every part of that is health. So we're missing one component, which I've done through my life is missing one component because I'm taking it in. It's okay. I'm still breathing. Then what happens to you as a whole person? Right. And so when we talk about collecting data and, and hearing our community with their stories of hate and bias, it is re-traumatizing them. We don't want to do that. But at the same time, it's a counseling process for them and for community members to be able to feel safe to share their stories. Then we document it where then we can give it to policymakers to make policies that are actually going to support our communities and funding resources for counseling, in language counseling. So there is a huge gap in educating our community, uh, but also educating the uh, policymakers or the elected officials. Um, and certainly, you know, when we live in a, a society that's built up from white supremacy culture and culture that just center um, European Eurocentric whiteness, it's hard, it's hard with the structure, but um, certainly, uh, anyone who's watching, listening, um, that please report because it, it's the reporting to community-based organization is different than reporting to the police. Uh, at least we can get the information, draw policy, and advise the, um, the electeds on these policies that they should make. Um, on the point of uh, the police reporting, it's, it's different, right? That's when you want to take the charge to uh, prosecution. And, and so that's a whole nother area. But for us, we want to make sure that everyone should be feeling welcome and that uh, we want to make policy that are in, uh, inclusive of our communities. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, let's take a short break here and um, have a commercial announcement. And then uh, we'll come back and talk a little bit more about that. So I, I would like to follow up on this idea because I think you're right, that some of what we're seeing is uh, sort of a white supremacy gasping for its last breaths and and acting out and assaulting everyone around it. But I, I don't know if that's really the whole thing. So we'll come back in a couple minutes. 
Hello, this is Eric Hanberg, host of the Channel 253 podcast, Citizen Tacoma. It's no secret that Tacoma's real estate market is off the charts right now. And whenever I have a question about what's happening, I take them to everyone's favorite pod auntie, Marguerite Martin. I trust her for so many reasons, but one of them is that she's not trying to sell me a house. After 16 years helping Tacomans buy homes, she's now a professional real estate matchmaker. That means her entire focus is getting you connected with the best agent for what you need. She helps you find experts because no agent is good at everything. Marguerite knows all the agents and she knows their specialty. Tell her what you're looking for and she'll help you swipe right for your perfect real estate agent. She helps me and my wife find an amazing agent to sell our condo downtown. And when we are ready to buy our next home, we'll turn to her for a match again. Best of all, getting a referral doesn't cost a dime. The agent pays Marguerite a finder's fee if you end up buying or selling. And you can rest easy knowing that you're going to get a great agent who specializes in exactly what you're looking for. To get started, visit movetotacoma.com and hit the contact form. Thank you, Marguerite, for getting Channel 253 up and running and your ongoing support of local media. Hi, we're back. Um, Before we get back into this discussion, which is very interesting, I want to say if you are not yet a member of Channel 253, please consider joining us. We put on the variety of podcasts centered around the Tacoma Pierce County area uh, and have some really good ones going right now. It is $4 a month or $40 a year and uh, well worth your consideration. Um, So let me me focus back. We had a little conversation uh, during our break that I'd like to bring up again. And and here's how I'll do it. I think there is something, there's a little nugget of something in this idea that um, white people are having. And it's a feeling of things are changing and they're not changing in a positive way for me. Uh, And that could be that you see that the demographics are changing. You know, um, white people in this country are used to being in the majority. We even use that language, minorities, majorities, that it's no longer accurate language. And yet with um, immigration changes, more likely, though, with birth rate changes, um, the white population will not be the majority population in very short very short few period few years from now so i don't know if that's really playing in because that's kind of like a level of consciousness that i don't often see playing out in this sort of racism um but what is going on here and one of the things kim brought up um when we were off off um on break was what did we see in washington dc on january 6th you know what is that sort of that giant push of hate that just sort of overflows um, towards everyone. And I, and I think with the administration over the last four years and with the you know, rhetoric over the COVID-19 virus, a lot of it is directed directly towards Asians. But we also see with the voting rights issues, a lot of hatred directly focused towards Blacks. Um, what do you think is going on in our country? And Kim, why don't you start since you were talking about the um, insurrectionists on January 6th. Um, I mean, it's just, you know, what's going on has been going on. I think it's just now it's just out there, right? We had a former president that allowed it to be out there, who did not condemn hate, who did not condemn certain terms like Chinese virus or terms that are actually naming a virus. And, and so we had a leader that 
was not leading, was not bridging communities. And so that allowed the floodgate. It allowed it to open up. And, um, you know, and, and as Americans, we come from all different lived experiences, immigration experiences. And um, like we mentioned with the attack on the Capitol, uh, a select few of our Vietnamese folks were there because they really thought they were fighting for freedom. Um, you know, we fought the Vietnam War. We were refugees and we don't want to go back to where, you know, communist is taking over. And I say we, but I'm not really a part of that. <laughs> uh, but I, 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 I feel their sentiment in some regards, but I don't, um, I don't ever, ever accept what they did. I won't ever accept that. And we denounce, we condemn what they did. And it's just, you can, we can say it's misinformation. We can say all this, but then the day we have to take accountability as well. Yeah, I think a lot of personal responsibility has to do with that too. And the question I ask is like, um, um, about 2020 in the past four years, revealing how people are so susceptible to uh, misinformation, um, choosing what to believe. Um, I used to think that flat earthers and anti-vaxxers are crazy. I still do think they're crazy, but I'm starting to understand why, because there's so many especially with the internet, social media, there's a stream of information, so much stream of information that it gets convoluted, get diluted, we don't know. To a point, we don't know what's real and what's truth, what's fact anymore. And then now we, have, we get to pick what we think is truth, what we think is fact to confirm what we believe. Like uh, Kim was saying, there's Vietnamese flags at the insurrection. There's also Cambodian flags at the insurrection. And these folks who went there in support of Donald Trump weren't necessarily there to be part of the insurrection, but they wanted to support their political views and their disdain for the Chinese government. And uh, to me, from what I gather from all the folks who are Asian that says saying China virus is not racist, to them, they're separating government from the actual community. Well, the majority of the folks don't think that way. When you say China virus, a Chinese Asian person is the China virus, right? No one has the depth or knowledge to say, oh, when we're saying China virus, we're talking about the Chinese government and whatever conspiracy theory they believe. And that's damaging, as you can see, it's damaging to our nation. And people don't separate the, the difference between. And to me, the word term China virus is racist as hell, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it, it goes even further back because there's this whole problem of for Asians in particular and, and people of color in general uh, of being forever foreign. So basically, if you're not white, you're not considered to be, you know, really American, mm -hmm. quote unquote. And we've got to get over that. I mean, we're all Americans. It doesn't matter if you were born here or you immigrated here when you were young or you came a few years ago. You know, we're here. We're all Americans. And when people cannot accept that, I mean... White supremacists don't even accept that black folks are American, even though yeah. they've been here as long or longer than most, most of the other folks, except for the indigenous folks, mm -hmm. First Nation folks. Um, and, you know, that whole concept of, you know, you're a foreigner is, is a way of making you the other. And if you're the other, then you're easier to hate. And if you're easier to hate, you're easier to attack and maybe even kill. Mm 
And we've got to get over that. Yeah, that is so true. And to, to go to touch on the, the anxiety of, you know, white people losing their country, that's mm-hmm. nothing new either. Uh, uh, the Civil War was fought over that because the South didn't want to lose uh, their ability to, to own slaves. And they didn't see slaves as people back then. And since the Civil War, the resistance to uh, for equality has has started ever since then. It's nothing new. I mean, it's embedded in the fabric of our our, our history. It's written to our constitution that certain folks are worth only three fifths of representation. So that resistance for equality has been here ever since. Um, white people has been um, blaming Chinese to have taken over jobs since the railroads, the 1800s when Chinese came over here for cheap labor for a better life. And, um, you know, Yellow Peril, as Dan um, mentioned, was, you know, was embedded part of our history, a part of our early history. So this anxiety that, you know, the white centered folks feel is nothing new. There's always been a resistance to seeing people as equal in this country. And I think with the new technology, internet, things are just more visible. These attacks are more visible. I recently learned that there was an attack on a uh, Cambodian refugee community in Stockton in the early 80s who was murdered by white supremacists and kids and women. And this happened in the 80s when they first got here. I didn't learn about the story until recently as as more information become available on Earth because of the recent events. As you can see, this is nothing new. It's just um, it's just fresh. In our in our minds currently, so we something that we shouldn't forget. That's why it's so important to accurately learn our history. So one of the things that strikes me is that you know it, it used to be that we had sort of a I'll say a centralized media. So we had some terrible you know experiences with newspapers who were whipping up a frenzy of uh, hate against various groups. Um, you know we've had that throughout our country's history. But in some ways, that would be easier to correct than the situation we have currently. You know, if we had centralized um, fear mongers, hate mongers, those can be directly addressed. But if we have this dispersed media, um, especially online, where everyone is sharing their um, conspiracy theories and their hate theories, um, I I am not sure what you do about that. one of the things that concerns me about the two recent shootings um, is I have been hoping that younger people will be more um, open-minded, more um, embracing of all kinds of different people, seeing, as Stan said, we're all Americans together. And yet these shooters were both 21. So I do, I do sometimes despair at, you know, what, what is the answer? How, how do we attack white supremacy? How do we um, move from this situation into something that's better? Yeah, that's a tough question. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. But I I do feel that white supremacy is um, an issue that white people have to deal with and help solve and not something to empathize with. Because we have no control. Our communities have no control how white supremacists see us, um, or their hatreds towards us. We don't have control of that. All we, have to, all we can't control is our reaction and our voice being loud and going forward. And um, I didn't, um, I, I want to direct it towards Kim. Kim was saying something. Um, yep. before 
Yeah, uh, thank you. I, you know, I just wanted to piggyback on Silong and what you were saying is the education piece. I think what we need, uh, because our kids are raised here, right? We start from kindergarten and all the way up. So it's our education. As we look internationally, you know, folks are doing, for example, math. They're already in like multiplication in first grade. Here, we're still counting in first grade. So in education, it comes to this ethnic studies, ethnic studies in, in K through five, we got to put ethnic studies in there. Tell the story of American history, not just what we want to tell. Um, and we also want to make sure that we teach a course on peace, peace or meditation. There got to be a course in that. I'm not a, I'm not a teacher. I didn't graduate with a MED, but I think that's very important that we make sure that's part of our kids learning. Right. Because as our society is very much individualistic, we always want it for ourselves. And we're so busy with our lives and nine to five or nine to ten, whatever our job or gig is, that we forget to reflect. And I think that if we start that at an early age. I think that's going to help. Uh, certainly, there's a broader thing that we need to have the system itself, which means representation, which means those who are making laws and policy. Do they have the lived experience of the communities that they represent? Simply, we don't have enough right now. That's what's happening, right? And we are electing leaders who are coming to office who are very much just within their own lived experience and not reaching out to other communities. And then, of course, the highest office in the land that our American people elected, right? And, and that's how we have this uptick in, in violence. Um, yeah. And so that's, that's just what I wanted to add. Yeah, absolutely. It's crazy that you mentioned that because... In 2021, if you look at our local politics, even just today, there's so many firsts. The first woman to hold this office, the first black woman to hold this office, the first Asian to hold this office. It's so crazy to me that in 2021, I've been here for 40 some years and we're still having firsts. <laughs> first, first everything. I hope, hopefully soon we, we, we won't be celebrating firsts anymore and just be normalized. I want to go back to a couple things. Uh, one that Silong had mentioned about, um, you know, feeling uh, like, you know, he was outsider, uh, you know, always being picked on. And when I was growing up, um, that was a, a big deal in my high school and, my, you know, among my friends. And a lot of them ended up, um, you know, getting involved in drugs or, or violence and stuff. Because, and a lot of it stems from, feeling like an outsider and not being accepted. And I think uh, what helped me was uh, I was kind of contrary, I guess. So I would take rice balls to school. Cause, you know, and you know, just to kind of put it in people's face, like, oh, yeah, yeah I'm Japanese, so, yeah. so what? <laughs> and, you know, and I'm proud of it. And I think we need to do a lot more of that for our kids, the ones that are growing up now, so that you, no matter what ethnicity or what nationality you are, that you are proud of where, who you are and where you came from, your people came from, and that if you are confident and proud of yourself and your family and your, your community, then it makes it a lot easier to be magnanimous and generous and caring for other communities because you know it's hard to love others if you don't love yourself the second thing is that there's a big economic component 
whenever people are hurting economically, then you get a rise in crime, a rise in drugs, a rise in mental health issues. And the whole country is that way. You know, it's not just uh, you know, so-called minority communities and reservations. It's you know, in the white population too. But because we have this racial divide, it kind of uh, covers up the economic divide, which is 1% of the, the country owns like half of the wealth. So if we could divert some of that into helping our communities, so like, you know, we have great education, we have great public health system, we have uh, jobs programs, um, I think that would go also go a long way to easing the racial tensions. Because when you're all stressed about where am I going to get, you know, my next paycheck, am I going to be able to pay rent? Uh, can I get, go on a vacation with my kids or do I have to tell them they got to stay home because we can't afford it? That puts a lot of stress on folks. Yeah, and then when you stress, you kind of find an outlet or something to blame, someone to blame, a group of folks to blame. So, you know, that, that's when the violence can occur. And absolutely right. Economic challenges affects everyone, you know, and as a country, as a nation, it, we can address that where everybody can be able to achieve their American dream, whatever that is. And, you know, the pursuit of happiness, you know, um, I don't know. I, I don't know what the statistics are, but I, I think it was with Sacramento or Stockton when the mayor implemented the UBI, the universal basic income of $500 a month. And it's nothing but positive results. So yeah, a lot has to do with that too. And then, you know, hate will come out of that. I mean, for example, you know, immigrants are coming and taking my job and taking my opportunities away from me. You know, that that's shifting the blame to a group of, of people instead of um, identifying the root cause of, you know, you know, the economic instability that, you know, we've all um, might have experienced during our lives. So, yeah, good point, Stan. Yeah, totally agree with Stan, and it's along on that as well, economic challenges. Uh, I'm a board member of Renton, Renton Technical College Foundation, and as you know, as a technical college, we build, I would have to say very proudly, I'm proud and pride, full pride, that we build the middle class, right? Because it's unions, you're talking about technical trades, every of that uh, career field. And, you know, there's a lot of challenges that we have with our non-traditional and traditional students, uh, immigrant refugees, folks who are returning for second careers. Um, because during this COVID time, it's, it's people are stressed out, people are getting laid off. And so I see what Stan is saying right on uh, because economic challenges as well. And, and when you have a government that doesn't uh, see that as a need to bridge the gap, right? When we talk about the American Rescue Plan, we're talking different stimulus bill, or we're talking locally in Renton, when we don't invest for nine years into human services funding, that is an issue. That is an issue. And so the, the, these are the challenges that are across races, um, but it's certainly something that we really need to pay attention to because the stress and the mental health um, that folks are now, you know, it's when we're going to get over COVID-19, we're not going to come out clean with everyone being healthy, right? It's very much going to be, um, our data are showing that our kids, our seniors, um, having a lot of uh, mental illness that they have to go through and deal with. And so we need that services ready um, 
And it's not like something that has to be to the left or the right spectrum. It's depression, anxiety, just stress, right? What are some of the things you've sort of transitioned into this already, but are there things you can think of that you can say out to the broader community? Um, here's something that you can do to help. Um, what, what would those things be? If you're speaking to anyone else in the community, how can they be aware and how can they be of assistance? I think um, overall, universally, just be kind to one another. That's pretty simple. So what a concept. Just be kind to one another. And if you see anyone being bullied or um, harassed, um, don't be afraid to speak out because when one person speaks out, um, more than likely more folks are going to intervene, step in to intervene. And yeah, just don't be a dick. <laughs> you can edit that out, Doug. I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, she long says it out loud. <laughs> I think I was in a, um, a uh, conference uh, last week or earlier this week with uh, city folks, and they were talking about what they were doing to try to help um, protect the Asian elders and, and the idea. So, you know, some of it is good. I think there's some stuff that you can do immediately that will help protect people, like, you know, elder watch and uh, having escorts um, uh, and, you know, maybe having a, an increased, uh, you know, police presence for a while will help scare people away. But uh, long term, that's not really the answer because you go down to the international district right now and, you know, the police want to bolster their presence. So they're doing uh, shift changes in Hing Hay Park where like 30 or 40 police show up and they get the report and then they you know disperse. Um, the, all the windows are still boarded up on all the businesses in the ID. Uh, you have security guards, private security guards who are armed, standing in front of the businesses that are, that are rich enough to afford it. So, you know, like the banks and Wajimaya. Um, is that security? Does that feel like safety? I don't think it, that's what it looks like in Lake City or Ballard or West Seattle. So why does it look like that in the ID? Um, and I think, you know, the police were saying, yeah, we have a hotline for, uh, you know, hate crimes, but hardly anybody calls. And I'm saying, well, you know, do you have language accessibility? Uh, do you have cultural sensitivity? Uh, you know, a lot of folks, especially immigrants, come from countries where you don't want to be with anyone who's in uniform because that's like dangerous, bad news. And, and there's folks who, you know, if they're not documented, they're not going to call the police because they know that police might take, turn them over to ICE. Mm -hmm. So I'm saying, you know, what's in it for someone to tell the police that this, you know, unless it's actual, you know, someone got murdered or shot or something, mm -hmm. what's in it for them? You know, why, yeah. should, why should they do that? And, you know, if you said, we have mental health counselors who can speak your language waiting to talk to you, or we have healthcare that you can access immediately if you're hurt at all, then, you know, that might change things. But we, we need more of those services that are language and culturally sensitive. Yeah, I think right on what Stan is the short-term and long-term, right? So what do we envision for our neighborhoods and our, our American society? 
but just more of the ground level as far as, you know, what Sam saying, you know, the CIG night watch that Tanya Wu and Matt Tully started last year after the looting happened after the George Floyd murder. Uh, and so they've been going on just night watch, uh, three shifts a night and walking around Chinatown, making sure that folks are um, protected and to the best of their ability, or they would be the one calling the police, uh, making sure that unhoused communities get fed at nighttime as well. And then you have folks like CISC uh, through the King County uh, Coalition Against Hate and Bias. And uh, we've been documenting uh, the issues that's been happening, the hate and bias incidents in our community. Um, so if you want to get involved, really, there's so many ways. But the first thing is that make sure that you always say something when something is wrong, right? Something, if someone's getting targeted, stand up and say something. Take a bystander training. Uh, join the movement, the AAPI Against Hate, which is a youth-led intergenerational movement that we are not silent movement. And making sure that electeds and leaders are held accountable to co-create community-based solutions for our communities. Whether it means more policing from 4th and Jackson corner and less policing 12th and Jackson or vice versa, whether it means in-language translation, whether it means access to counseling services, all that. Um, so make sure that we're, we plug in that, uh, you know, we can only go so far alone, but we can go further uh, when we go together. So, Well, I think that is probably the perfect ending, that we can go further together. So thank you, each of you. I really appreciate you being available for the podcast today. Uh, and I will include information if you have any other groups that you'd like me to um, put on the platform, I'm happy to include links in the program notes. So just send those to me by email. I'll take care of that. Um, as always, I ask people who are listening to this podcast, if you have feedback on this episode or ideas for future programs, get in touch with me. You can contact me by email, truetacoma at gmail.com. Find me on Twitter at true underscore Tacoma. Thanks, everyone. Did you know Channel 253 is member-supported? I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I hope you will show your support by going to channel253.com slash membership and join. Thank you. Crossing Division is part of the Channel 253 Podcast Network. Check out our other shows. Nerd Farmer, Interchangeable White Ladies, We Art Tacoma, Move to Tacoma, Taco Man, Flounder's B-Team, Citizen Tacoma, What Say You, and Gimme the Mic. This is Channel 253.